Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Um, I'm Reg and I'm joined by Buckets on this Tuesday night. Uh, Buckets, it's been a while, but uh, some exciting exciting news that another little human has joined the future uh, Courtside Hoops podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Very exciting to add another member to the Courtside Hoops podcast family. Another A little GG has come along. So uh, very, very exciting. And now we're just trying to sync our schedule so that we can continue the content coming out weekly from now on. That's right. It's going to be it's going to be interesting how we try try to get things uh, get things sorted. But uh, we'll, we'll do our, do our best. Um, before we get into it, how's the how's the lawn going? Lawn is going very well. The new new turf that I laid down is now mirrored up to the the existing turf, so you can barely see the difference between the two. So the backyard is looking tip top and. I'm in the process of organising, I think on Friday, we're having the old-fashioned wetting of the head for the new baby, which I'm going to combine with the the official opening of the basketball court. Uh, so a few of the boys are going to be coming around and we'll play a bit of around the world and things like that to celebrate uh, little L coming into the world. That's awesome. Hopefully there's no ACL injuries or <laughs> uh, when guys try to go too hard once they've had a few. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly right. They all think there's Zion out there. That's right. That's right. Oh, that'll be, that'll be really, really cool. Um, yeah. As always, bits happening in the NBA. I think it's been two and a bit weeks since we last did one or thereabouts. Um, probably the biggest story, I guess, um, that's come out is, is the Draymond Green comments um, in relation to obviously teams saying they're going to trade a player versus a player wanting to be traded. Um, I'm sure probably everyone who's, who listens to this podcast has seen that on one of the social media platforms because it's been everywhere. Um, what did you think about Draymond's comments? So I agree with parts of what he said um, and other parts, I disagree with what he said. Um, so I'll start with the parts that I do agree on. I think he did a very good job pointing out the double standards that there are in the NBA between how a player is viewed if they request a trade or um, do something to try to force their way out of a situation or even the um, backlash they receive if they leave as a free agent which I've always said I never have a problem with with players leaving as free agents, um, but you, you can still see the you know obviously the the most um, famous one is LeBron leaving Cleveland and the backlash that come from that. Um, but I certainly think he did a very good job pointing out how teams can treat players with a lot of disrespect and do things that um, basically, as he said, embarrasses the player but they must remain professional to um, still be a tradable asset for, for that team. And when it's done on the flip side, that it it doesn't work and how there needs to be a coming together of organization and the employees so that it's a bit more fair across the board, instead of having teams being able to do things like trade a guy and he finds out sitting on the bench trading someone they find out in a press conference or sometimes they find out from, you know, um, sports centre or um, 
you know, Adrian Wojnarowski's Twitter feed. You know, there needs to be a bit more respect there where there's open communication from organisation to employee. The part that I disagreed with him was when he brought up the situation with James Harden and when we talk about players demanding trades from an organisation. So I disagree with what James Harden did to force his way out of Houston. Now, I understand you may do something and you want a different situation. You may want to live somewhere else, you know, move your family um, and all that. But my view is if you sign a contract with an organisation, that's an agreement between you and them that you have to uphold and the organisation has to uphold. So you are going to get paid that contract regardless if you play well, play poorly, get hurt, or they trade you. you that, that's what you're agreeing to in, in most NBA contracts. So you have to hold up your end of the bargain by either playing that contract out with the organisation or if the organisation decides to trade you to another team, then you go there. But you're still guaranteed the money that you've signed in that contract. So that's what you get in return um, from that from the organisation. So when players go in and say they sign a five-year deal and two years or three years or four years into it, then go and demand that the organisation trade you, I don't agree with that because you've signed a contract with that organisation to play out five years and the organisation has the flexibility to trade you, if you will, but they have to hold up the end of the bargain by paying you what you signed on. So that's the agreement. And doing what James Harden did, I think, is even worse than players that demand a trade is where they basically just dog it and don't turn up and be professional and do their job so that the organisation is forced to, to get rid of you um, because you, you're not holding up what you're meant to do as a professional basketballer. So on one side, I absolutely agree with what he's saying, that there's a double standard between the employees being the basketballers and the organisations, and there needs to be a coming together of those two. But I absolutely disagree with players that, A, demand trades when they're contracted, and B, just forcing an organisation to move you by not turning up and doing your job professionally. What do you reckon the solution is to try to bring the double standard closer? To try to not make it so one-sided, you know, in both different directions? It's a difficult one because at the end of the day, it is an employer-employee relationship. So, you know, you and I and, and most people that would, would listen to this podcast would have an employer-employee relationship. We would have a job somewhere that we are employed at or where we are an employer that employs other people. Um, so it's very difficult. If you're the employer, you have the power because you've employed these people. So it's, 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 it's hard for it to be, you know, a mutual thing, I guess it comes down to the players association. Um, and I guess in, in the employee world, the, your EBAs and things like that to try to have it where it's organizations don't have, I guess, as much scope to move players without going through correct channels. Cause I think that's where the problem is. I don't think there's so much a problem with, 
I think the players understand that they can be moved and traded and, and things like that at short notice. But I think the sticking point is how it's done and how it's communicated to the players. I think so. I think that's where the players' association hopefully will be able to come to, where the organisations have to a talk to the player or the players' manager in the first instance before any information gets leaked out and, and they always use that word that you know information is leaked to the media no information's ever leaked to these players yeah. like, this is just organization like Woj isn't everywhere in every state in every city like he's got people that call him and give him the information that's why he's always first with the information so yeah. nothing's ever leaked so I think that's certainly the first step is that there needs to be things put in place where organisations have to communicate with the correct people in the first instance so that that information goes to them first. Um, and then I guess that after that, you then start to look at, you know, things about timeframes, like, you know, you might move, um, you know, your family from one city to another thinking, okay, I've, got, I've just got traded from the Lakers in Los Angeles to the Knicks in New York. So you've got to go cross country. And then by the time you made it to New York, you've then been traded to Denver. And then you so you pack up and move your stuff to Denver. And then by the time you play two weeks in Denver and then they trade you to Detroit, like, you know, so maybe that's after you've got the communication piece worked out where, you know, the players and the players' managers find out before Woj does. And then you start looking at, okay, we can't just keep shipping people all over the joint um, like they're, you know, shares on the, on, on the share market. So um, <laughs> what are your, where, where do you sort of sit on all of it? Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I've admitted in this podcast before, I'm not a big fan of Draymond, so I rarely <laughs> like what he says. Um, and the way that he, he acts on the court, he got ejected again this week, which is typical <laughs> typical Draymond. But um, I, I think I'm with you. I think there's elements of it that I liked. What One thing that I think he failed to to mention and um, is there's also a sort of a third scenario, which is a great example of that is the Blake Griffin situation in Detroit in that it's a mutual agreement from both sides to move on. So you're not going to play whilst we're still going to pay you. You're getting paid. Awesome. You know, you're making, you're still making your, I think he's in the last deal of his Supermax. Um, but it's better for us and better for you if, if we move you on. And, you know, we'll work with you to try and facilitate something as best we can, as long as it works for us as well. That's a pretty unique situation. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's not always that either they're getting traded, you know, behind their back or the players saying, I want out. Sometimes there is sort of that common common ground, um, which, which again, is it's, that's why I think it's a circumstantial thing. And I don't think the James Harden uh, example is a good example at all because as, as exactly as you pointed out, he completely was unprofessional. If he was professional all the way through, great example, but he wasn't. And that's not – it's hard to say, well – you know, the organizations are always the bad guys. When in that situation, the employee didn't show, <laughs> then he did show was out of shape. Then he didn't really care when he was playing. He was saying stuff to the media about not wanting to be there. Like there's a certain level that you've got to hold yourself to as well, I think, in terms of professionalism. Um, but yeah, to, to me, the more the more fascinating thing is how do you fix it? We, we know it's there and it's it's, to me, there's no easy, oh, you just do this, you know, like, because as you say, at the end of the day, it's employer-employee. Now, it's different for us because we don't get tra traded from job to job. <laughs> that would be a bit weird. Uh, yeah. 
but um, you know, for them, it's it's that can happen at any given time. I, I think you're right. I think if you get a contract and you sign it, you say I'm going to see this contract out. If if there's a chance I'll get traded, that's that is the what comes. That's the nature of the beast. Um, you might not sign such a long deal. You know, you might sign a shorter one, so then you've got more flexibility um, in terms of that. Um, so I think there's different layers and elements that that um, play into it. Um, but it's certainly got the attention of a lot of people, I think. And there was people very, very for it or people very, very against it. There was sort of no, you know, in between, um, which I found interesting. And, and to your point, I think um, uh, Luke Ridnauer owns the record for the most trades. I think he was traded like six times in two weeks. So he was like, because he was shipped as part of a package and they shipped him somewhere else. He got shit like, it was something ridiculous. He'd been on, you know, four teams in two weeks. So, and he'd never even left his original, whichever team he was on, he'd never actually left there. So it was just like, okay, wait till this slows down and then I'll just go wherever I need to go. <laughs> That's it. Wait till the dust settles a little bit. But um, just on your piece about, you know, how do we fix it? I think, it's certainly a, a fair way forward than what it was, you know, even 10 years ago that yeah. players feel comfortable enough to say this now because it wasn't that long ago. Uh, and we've, we saw the example with Donald Sterling and, you know, the, the problems in, in Los Angeles when he was the owner um, to now have a player like Draymond that's comfortable enough to come in and say that and not, fear losing his job or being blackballed from the league, I think is a big step forward. And that's certainly going to help bridge the gap between, you know, owners and organizations and players um, going forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Actually. It's, it's good that they can actually say those things without having to, um, to face, you know, certain consequences that would have been there once upon a time. Maybe you said that, imagine saying that like 20 years ago, like you'd be, yes. your contract would be torn up the next day. Like, that's right. You or you have to look at Craig Hodges with the Chicago Bulls. Um, and I know his wasn't about treatment of organisations. His was a, a, along the idea of racism. Yeah. Um, and he lost his job. Yeah. Basically, was blackballed from the NBA. Um, now it's not well known. You have to go and research that stuff. Um, but you know that was only in '93 that that happened. So. You know, I think we're a fair way forward now, which is a, is a good thing. And having things like the Players Association and things like that um, is certainly going to help make it um, a more favourable player league going forward. Just why just why you mentioned that. Speaking of Craig Hodges, was it the gym the other day? There was a guy wearing a Bulls Craig Hodges jersey. <laughs> no, I thought, wow, no. that is. I was like fourteen. That's a true fan. I'm thinking fourteen for the Bulls. I'm like, what? Who's fourteen? And he turned around. And I was like, oh, it's Craig Hodges. <laughs> so yeah, don't know if it was a Bali job or not. Before Steph Carroll. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really seen them in the shop, so I don't know where the Craig Hodges differences are. But <laughs> I suppose he saw maybe that his one. last name was just Hodges. Yeah, maybe his favourite number is fourteen. He's got a personalised one. He's got no That's idea right. who Craig Hodges is. <laughs> yeah, he's looking at you like, why is this guy looking at me so weird? <laughs> oh, Craig Hodges. That's great. Um, I wanted to move on to Anthony Davis and his injury, um, how it's affecting the Lakers and sort of if you are concerned about it going forward. Um, I'm definitely concerned anytime you have a lower leg injury um, and they start talking about Achilles, it's hard not to be concerned because um, as we know, there's no coming back from an Achilles this season. 
and there's no way the Lakers are going to be able to compete for a championship without Anthony Davis. Um, that's not a knock on the rest of the Lakers. It's just the facts of the NBA. If you don't have your second best player and your second best player is a top five player in the league, that's a huge chunk out of your team. And when you're coming up against teams with guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, over in the East, you've got the, the Brooklyn Nets. There's no chance that the Lakers can compete for a championship without Anthony Davis. Without Anthony Davis, basically the Lakers are the Cleveland of nine, uh, 2018. LeBron may be able to carry them to, you know, the Western Conference Finals, possibly the NBA Finals, but they're not going to be able to to beat um, a team for a championship without Anthony Davis. So, yeah, it's very concerning. I like that they've shut him down for a long period of time now um, to give him every opportunity to, to recover because, yeah, if, if he isn't able to go in the playoffs, then... The, the chance of back-to-back is, um, you know, outside of other teams losing their their best players, the Lakers aren't going back-to-back without Anthony Davis. Just, just while we're talking about the Lakers, I think we're about a month away from the trade deadline um, for, for this year with, with the, um, the season being the way it is. Do you see the Lakers trying to add pieces um, or pretty much stick with the status quo? I think it will depend on, so obviously Schroeder's out at the moment um, and obviously the concerns around Anthony Davis. I, I think they're always going to be looking to upgrade how hard they go. Uh, if they could get a, a, a replacement for Marcus Gasol, I think that would be high on their, on their wish list. Um, I was excited by getting him because I said that we needed someone to handle Jokic come playoff time. But, you know, Father Time looks to have gotten a hold of Marcus Hull, unfortunately, <laughs> this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I haven't looked to see who's out there that could be a possible replacement for him, but I think that would be great. And I think, like any team, if you can add more three-point shooting, you know, another 3 and D guy, you'd be silly not to try to try to add that into your group. So I think they'll certainly try, but whether they're able to land anyone of significance that could help them, um, I'm not so sure. You know, Bradley Beal would be quite nice, but uh, his uh, stocks are sky high at the <laughs> yeah. moment. So I think Washington would want a King's ransom for him. And I just don't think we've got the pieces to be able to add a guy like him at uh, the trade deadline. I think it's um, I think it's only fair that that Father Time's caught up with Mark, considering it hasn't caught up with LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> Balances it out a little bit there, which is exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, yeah, you always hear about the the good teams are never satisfied; they're always trying to get better, and the good GMs are always aggressive and trying to get better. And I mean, we saw it all throughout the the Last Dance documentary with Jerry Krause. It was always about what else can who else can I add, you know? So. I'd be surprised if they remain exactly as is. Um, and also, I suppose, beyond the trade deadline, you've got the buyout market as well. So that could be interesting because there's usually some handy players who who end up in the buyout market who could who could fill a role. So I think that will be very, very interesting going forward. Um, and yeah, the Marcus Gasol one's an interesting one because it'll be interesting to see if they do try to get some more support, you know, with, with the big fellas um, because they're obviously going to need that come playoffs. 
Absolutely. Speaking of uh, contending teams, what do you make of the Philadelphia 76ers sitting equal top of the East at the moment? Yeah, so I watched the game, uh, it was last week or the week before now, when uh, Joel was out and Ben Simmons had his career high, 42 points on like 80% from the field or something ridiculous. <laughs> I think he hit like 10 of 11 free throws or something, which is pretty good for him. Um, Absolutely. And was just like, all the commentators were saying, if they had done the Harden for Ben Simmons trade, is this the Ben Simmons we would have seen in Houston, you know, if a team was built around him as the focal point, is this the kind of guy, you know, you could see. Um, and that was 42 points without attempting a single three, which is, you know, in this day and age is like scoring 60 with threes or 70, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> cause you obviously get that extra point every time. So that was really impressive. And, and uh, they lost, but it was against Utah. So it's a, it's a fair, fair thing to lose the way Utah rolling. Um, and then uh, Joel Embiid comes out and drops 50 against the Bulls the other day, which uh, sadly I watched as well. So, um, <laughs> which I was not happy about, but it, it's, a, and that was without Ben. So it comes back to that whole, can these guys really coexist come when it really matters most in the playoffs? And to me, it's, it's not necessarily a question of whether or not they can coexist, but if that team with, with those two in it and the current pieces around it are legitimate title contenders or are they still a piece or something away? And for me, they're still, some, they're still a piece or something away. And I know they're, they're top of the East or, or thereabouts at the minute, um, but I just there's something about them that I just don't think works come playoffs. And whether it is the fact that Ben doesn't shoot and, you know, you can sag off him and, and you know, make um, Joel shoot jump shots as opposed to dominate down low uh, because you can sag off Ben and not worry about him. You know what I mean? Like against the Bulls, they had, they, there was none of that issue because they basically had Joel Embiid and four shooters around him. They had uh, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, um, uh, that Shake Milton and Danny, uh, yeah, Danny Green. So four shooters and he was just feasting down low and there's nothing the Bulls could do about it. Like, and I'm not saying we're the best defensive team, but it was just like, this would be, you know, awesome if, if Ben could actually at least keep people honest from, from three, uh, but not shooting at all. I, I don't know. I just, they seem to be so good individually and together. I'm still just not sure. They, it's a little bit of your turn, my turn. And look, Joel's a, an MVP candidate. He's been playing awesome. But is that, the best way for them to go all the way? I, I don't know. What, what, what are you reckon about it? Yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting you say, you know, that they play so well when the other one's not in the lineup, you know, and, and we spoke about this when we were comparing um, big threes when the, the Harden trade happened. You know, I say that the Golden State big three is the best because – those three together, you're able to get 90% of each of their skill sets while all three of them on the court, whereas other um, combinations for the other two, so say, for instance, for Joel Embiid to be 90 or 100% of his potential and his skill set, 
then Ben Simmons can only really give you 50 or 60% of his skill set because if he tries to do more, that's going to take away from what Embiid is doing and vice versa. So maybe it is that they just don't fit together and maximise their potential. So maybe they're better off separately and having different teammates because as you say when Embiid's surrounded by four shooters he's able to do a lot more of what he's really really good at and then also makes those shooters better because he's creating so much attention down low so you're actually getting more out of your team even though your second best player or as some some would think equal best or, or better player in Ben Simmons isn't there your team's actually performing better so it could be that or it could be just that they are still trying to figure it out. But they've had a lot of years to, to do it. And we said at the start of the season, this is it for them. You know, if they bow out in the second round of the playoffs again this year and don't really push for either a conference finals or a, or a finals appearance, I think it's time to, to move one of them on to try to maximise one or the other because... Um, if, as I said, if it, if it fizzles out again, you've just got two really, really good players that aren't going to lead you anywhere more than the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I think um, I think it's a, I'm a little bit biased in that I just want to see Ben. I just want to see if it's like if you're the main guy and we build around you, like what can you do? Um, I mean, yes, there's always been that sort of. Um, like baby LeBron sort of comparisons, you know, he, he's a bit of a do it all sort of guy. Um, but it's, it's, I think you're right. It's definitely not 100% of Ben Simmons that we're getting. And if, if anybody watches him play defense, he's ridiculously good on the defensive end. Like he's a defensive player of the year candidate. He guards all the, the really good players, makes it really difficult for them. He's long. Um, you know, he's got such an advantage with his size and, and the way that he plays. It's just that, you know, if he could just, get a bit more of a go, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how good he really could be. Um, and look, that may come later on. It, it may not be the best thing now. They may be saying, let's just see if we can win a, a title first and then, you know, whatever happens, happens. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like, ah, it's so frustrating to see these two guys so good and they just can't, you know, even though they're winning, they just can't get it together um, to, to really be, I think, what someone would say, this team is a legit contending team. Um, and look, they're in the East, so there's a chance. But you, you just if someone said to me they're going to win the championship, I just wouldn't. I just don't believe it, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Staying with um, the point guard position, one of one of our favourites, um, the Lamelo Ball has just transitioned to a starting position. What have you made of that? He has been awesome. Um, since he's become a starter. I think he's, he's, I checked earlier today, he's averaging a tick under 20 points per game on, a, on high 40s from two, 42% from three and like 80 something percent from the line. Um, so a tick under 20 points, um, six rebounds, six assists, couple of steals, like rookie of the year numbers without a doubt, um, like just across the board. And he's made that team fun to watch um you know you've got this you've got gordon hayward with that balloon contract that everyone was like this is crazy he's actually playing at an all-star level you've got Lamelo ball you know running the show throwing these passes that i think everyone thought lonzo would be able to do 
but he hasn't done. It's almost like, well, he's he's the Lonzo that everyone thought the Lakers were getting uh, when they drafted him, and Melo's doing all of that, you know, from the get go. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's a really, really exciting player to watch. I'm so happy that they finally put him in the starting lineup, um, which be interesting to see when um, Devontae Graham comes back from injury because that's sort of how he got in. But, you, I mean, you can't take him out now. <laughs> um, and you shift Terry Rozier off the ball more where I think he's a bit more effective than, than being sort of your lead guard. It's amazing what opportunity does, you know. And um, I've sort of I've watched a few of their games now, which I would never watch a Charlotte game in the last decade <laughs> um and he's just he's just a really really exciting player to watch um so i'm really happy for him that he's getting that opportunity now yeah absolutely and you make a good point about the three-point shooting at 42 percent. i think that's the biggest difference between him and lonzo um yeah i've always said that if you grow up in a family and your older siblings play a sport the youngest generally will be the best because they have to compete against them they learn from them they see you know some of the mistakes they make or or ways to do things better so they end up being the best of of the lot which i think lamello's benefited from but that three-point shooting it just opens up everything. And I think anyone that's played the game of basketball understands that if you can, if you're a good shooter, then the rest of the game is so much easier. You know, if you can't consistently knock down a jump shot, you know, it makes it so much more difficult to hit the lanes or make passes and things like that. So the fact that he's able to consistently shoot the three makes his life so much easier than what it was for Lonzo coming into the league. Yeah, and I think the the, the most impressive thing about that too is it's the volume. He's getting up just under seven threes a game. So it's it's different if you're taking two and shooting 42% versus taking seven and shooting 42%. Yes. You know, I mean, that's a big difference because of the volume. Um, so I think he's played about 10 games now as a starter. And man, he's the, the you know, they've, Jordan's done a, a decent job in this draft. He might have got one right. <laughs> he might have got one right. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be here in a couple of years saying, oh, Jordan was a genius. What, a, what an owner. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So heading out west, Utah is just flying. I don't think anyone picked Utah to be sitting atop the west. I think they're four games clear in the west, which when you've got teams like the Lakers and the Clippers, is just unbelievable. What do you make of them? The, the impressive thing about Utah is they're top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, and I was actually listening to a podcast the other day um, with a bloke from ESPN, um, and he was legitimately putting Rudy Gobert in MVP conversations. And I was like, wow. And he was just like, if you watch this team, like he's the anchor like on, on the defensive end, obviously controls everything down there. And then him in pick and roll with, say, Joe Ingles or Mike Conley or um, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Jordan Clarkson. Oh, they've got all these guys who can play in the pick and roll with him. And he just rolls, gets it, dunks, goes back down, you know, block shots, gets rebounds. I don't think he's an MVP, but I, I can see his, the way he's, he's seen it in terms of just sheer value to a team and, and what they can do. He's, he's probably underrated a little bit in that aspect, even though he's a two-time defensive player of the year. He's just a beast the way he he controls things from the defensive standpoint and then the way he can get easy, you know, high percentage shots on the offensive end. Um, but there's there's a, a really good um, video on YouTube. Um, 
there's a guy who works for the ringer and he does a like a weekly 10 minute video on a topic in the nba it's called the void um and he does a a a, um, on the void, I think it was either this week or last week, he does like a, a 10 minutes on the Utah Jazz's offense and how much ball movement they actually have. And it's, it's, it's awesome to watch. Like their ball is just zinging all around the court and they're getting great looks. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're almost like the Spurs of the modern day, like just solid on both ends. Um, yes, they've got a guy in Donovan who is, you, know, you quote unquote, un, quote unquote star, but. There's so many guys in that team that contribute and that's the way they, they win. But it's like by collective, not, not here's the ball you go and carry us like other teams have. Um, so look, I know we've spoken about it before, but they're just super impressive to watch. Uh, again, it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes when we get to uh, a postseason. Um, but I think they're 24 and six or something at the moment and top of the top of the West, which is not easy to do when, when the conference is that strong. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong, um, but you're right. It's going to be once playoffs hit, because for me, still at the moment, they they look like um, an Atlanta Hawks team when they won sixty plus games. Uh, you know, a lot of good pieces. I think they had two All Stars that year in Millsap and Kyle Korver. Um, but you know, the test comes playoff time, and generally, history says if you don't have you know a top five superstar in the league. It uh, tends to fall over as you get deeper into those rounds. Yeah, exactly. And um, of course, Joe Ingalls just doing his thing. He's he's having one of his most efficient uh, seasons in his career at age thirty three. So, Jingle and Joe. Joe is still getting it done. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to uh, move to our favourite team that we refer to every single pod we do the old uh, the old Brooklyn <laughs> the old Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and there's two. Pretty sure. Two questions I wanted to ask you. Um, I'll I'll start with um, Kyrie's uh, quoted comments about him playing the shooting guard role and James Harden being the point Um, and apparently saying that to Harden. What did you, what did you make of that? It just, to me, it, it's, it just screamed what Kyrie is about. And that's someone that is just ahead of themselves that, just thinks they're more than what they are, you know. Yes, you're you're an all star. Yes, you know everyone says that you've you've got one of you know it's either you or Isaiah Thomas, the greatest handle in NBA history, best finisher around the rim, all this sort of stuff that gets talked about. But you you're saying things like that to a guy that's won an MVP, that's won multiple scoring titles, you know, for all intents and purposes is a more accomplished player than you outside of the fact that you have a championship, but everyone agrees that you were the second best player on that championship team. So it's not that you led a team to a championship. So, you know, when I saw that quote to say, okay, you're saying to James Harden, okay, you're going to go be the point guard and I'm going to be the shooting guard. He's almost taken, it sounds like he's taken on the role that he's the leader of this team and whatever he says goes. And for me, as a Lakers fan, is brilliant because if Kyrie's the one calling the shots, then they're not going to maximise their potential and they don't, they're not going to win the NBA championship. 
he needs to be being told by Kevin Durant what to do and Kevin Durant needs to be telling James Harden and Kyrie what to do, not Kyrie telling James Harden and Kevin Durant what to do and taking all the shots and thinking that he's he's the one that's going to make this team go as far as it needs to go. Because, and I've said it many times, Kyrie's resume without LeBron James as a teammate is very poor. It's seasons in Cleveland where he never made the playoffs, a season in Boston where he took a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals and led them to the second round, so one round less, and then went to Brooklyn, and all the stats said that Brooklyn was a better team when he wasn't on the floor than when he was on the floor. So this idea that Kyrie is this amazing leader that makes everyone around him better and it's going to make the Brooklyn Nets a championship contending team as the leader is a farce. And he needs to understand that and get in line like James Harden has taking on that point guard role. And he needs to hand over the keys to Kevin Durant and say, you're our best player. James Harden's going to play the point guard role and you're just going to fit in around those two to make this team as good as it possibly can be. Do you reckon part of that is now that I'm the shooting guard, I can take the most shots? Because <laughs> he's still I'm taking assuming. more shots than anybody else. Yeah. In his head, he thinks that he is the greatest scorer in the world, which is probably why he's in the NBA and is as good as he is. Yeah. But if, if that's going to be the mindset he goes into those games with in the playoffs, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. That's that's the exact argument people said about Russell Westbrook when he was in OKC with Kevin Durant and was the reason why they weren't able to win a championship is because they thought that Russell Westbrook would take the shots that Kevin Durant should have been taking. So for me, the exact same thing is going to happen in Brooklyn, just a different Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's... Yeah, he's... <laughs> as you say, if, if Kyrie's leading the charge, um, it's going to be interesting. And I guess that leads to the question that I always ask, or I think I've asked in the last few episodes. Um, I think they're 20 and 12 now. They've won seven of their last 10. Uh, are they coming out of the East? Yes. Ooh, yes. okay. And, and I say that, and, and, and that's with Kyrie being the way Kyrie is. I think even with him... Doing that, Brooklyn isn't going to be the best they possibly can be. But I think even with that, they're good enough to come out of the East because Milwaukee and Boston have fallen off. So it's it's more that those teams have regressed than Brooklyn's gone up, if that makes sense. Um, Boston's at 500, which I don't think either of us would have expected that 30 games into the season. Um, so I don't know what the problem is there because Jalen Brown was balling out, Tatum was balling out, and for some reason the last two to three weeks, it's all gone south there. Milwaukee, we all thought the acquisition of Drew Holiday, they were going to be the redemption story. Giannis, two-time MVP defensive player, they were going to come back with a vengeance. That that hasn't happened thus far. So you've got Philly and Brooklyn sitting at top, and you know we spoke about Philly just before. Um, I, I think with a Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie team against an immature Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are good enough. They just got too much firepower to to be able to um, overcome that. So for me, they are coming out of, of the East. 
um, purely based on the fact that those teams that I thought were going to beat them have regressed thus far. Yeah, I, um, I've been pretty confident in Boston <laughs> coming out of the East and that confidence is quickly, <laughs> quickly dropping. Um, so I, it's, it, it is hard um, to, to, I guess, pick them, but I'm going to stick with them. And I think uh, one of our avid listeners, uh, Mr. Jeff Cox, is going to be happy because he gave us some feedback that we always agree on everything. So I'm actually I'm actually going to stick with Boston, uh, and I reckon they get they're going to work it out, and I reckon they're in for a uh, significant move before the trade deadline. Not much sure it's going to be, but I reckon it's going to be pretty big. And I've got no no sources or anything because I'm not that important. <laughs> no one calls me to leak information. Uh, it's just yeah. just something that I've got a gut feeling about. <laughs> You got Boston on on the hotline. Yeah, so next week I'll probably be saying Brooklyn are coming out of the out of the east, but uh, but for this week I'll I'll stick with Boston. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, because yeah, sitting at fifteen and fifteen is is nowhere near where they should be with that kind of talent. No, they they've got to do something. They've got to figure something out. That's for sure. And I think it's I think they've got to do something with um with that roster. And you know, we were talking about them being um better because they didn't have Hayward there. So it's not so much of sharing, but it seems to be worse, like not better. And I don't know what's going on with Kemba, but he seems to be all over the place. So I think uh, his best years might be, might be left in, uh, in Charlotte. Mm. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this one up? Uh, I just wanted to touch on, I watched the Lakers Washington game today and I think it's going to be a tough stretch for the Lakers coming into All-Star break. Um, I think they just look tired. Um, obviously, losing AD and Schroeder at the moment is tough. Um, it's putting a lot on LeBron. He's having to play a lot of minutes. Uh, and it just makes the other role players' jobs that much harder. You know, we, you know, Guys like KCP and, and Kuzma and Caruso, their jobs are made 10 times easier when you've got an Anthony Davis on the floor because instead of having the second best or the third best defender, you're now getting the third, fourth or fifth best defender. The defensive schemes are geared towards obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, so there's far less attention on you. So once they go out of the lineup, you know, what you're able to get easy open looks or, or things of that nature, now the defense can key in a lot more on you and you don't necessarily have that skill set to overcome it. So everything just becomes so much more of a struggle, which then makes LeBron's job so much harder because normally he could get, you know, easy open looks for his teammates and they would hit open shots and keep running the scoreboard up. Now he's still able to get them those looks, but they're more contested, so they're missing them. So you're not able to get those easy points and um, you have to work so much harder as the best player to try to win these games. And that's exactly what happened today against Washington. But I have to say, he need, the free-throw shooting is just such a frustration. And it is... It's just, it's all in his head because he's so talented at every other part of the game. 
but that mental demon he has at the free free throw line. He could have won the game in regulation today with a three-point play, left the free throw um, short. He missed two free throws in the fourth quarter. They could have got out of that in regulation with the win, ends up going to overtime and they lose. Um, you know, and he's had to play 40-plus minutes for, for a loss against a team that uh, is not even in the eighth seed in the East. So... It's going to be a hard slog for them. So I really do hope that AD is able to get back because, yeah, you just it's going to be a bridge too far for LeBron at 36 to be able to pull this team um, out of it without Anthony Davis. Yeah, and I think I think another like the uh, another part element um, on top of the free throw shooting is um, I think I saw something that said in Le- LeBron's last 10 games he's only shooting about 20% from three. Whereas he started the season shooting the lights out, like he was shooting, you know, high thirties, um, and so I think that's another example of just having to carry too much of the load. Um, that you know you you get a bit fatigued and the shots just aren't falling because I mean you you don't have what another top five player in the league out there with you. Um, and we we spoke about at the start of this year and even into last year about um, this being the perfect way for sort of. LeBron to, to take a bit more of a backseat and extend his sort of career because AD would take on more of the load, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of working the opposite at the moment that AD's not there and LeBron's having to do more than I think he would like to. Um, and and definitely um, Lakers fans in the organisation would probably be hoping, you know, at this stage of the season, he's not having to carry so much. Uh, and you're exactly right. If you're a role player and you've got two of the top five players in the league out there, it makes your job a heck of a lot easier than having one and then having to try to, you know, fill the gap of that other one. Um, and, you know, you've got guys like Wesley Matthews and that who are looking like they're on their last legs. Like they're, they're just not producing what they once did. And and that's because that's not what their job was meant to be. So they're now having to, you know, step in and step up and try to do more than, than you know, they're probably capable of on when it, when it's, you know, when the, the, the team's at its best. Absolutely. Um, and one last thing I did want to uh, touch on is it does look like we're going to have an all-star game, um, which I think is good for us fans. Probably the players are probably a bit pissed about it, but as the fans, it'd be good. And if it does go ahead and they're talking that the Saturday night events would happen at halftime, so your skill challenge and your three-point shootout and dunk contest, if that does happen... We need Zion in the dunk contest. There's, Ooh, no, yeah. there's no point running the dunk contest if you don't have Zion yeah. because that's all anyone wants to see. The, the dunk contest has been slowly dying and it's only been when guys like Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine have been able to prop it up you know, in, in years gone past. So if you are planning on doing the dunk contest NBA, make sure Zion's in it or don't bother running it. Yeah, don't, don't have those no-names that don't actually play you know, yes. that end up in the dunk contest and then someone's holding up a trophy. It's like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> and then they're out of the league the next year. Yeah, there was a couple of years there, like a little stretch, and it was like some dude from Utah, some dude from Toronto. <laughs> and it was like, I don't even know who these guys are because they weren't playing. Like, it's just... They just search the streets, sign them to 10-day contracts. Yeah, yeah. They've got... They've, it's almost like got to be if he doesn't doesn't nominate or, or won't do it, just can it. Let's <laughs> yeah. just not worry about it. There's no point. Get be like, on in the dunk contest. It's like having a three-point shootout without the best three-point shootouts, shooters. It's like, what's the point? Like, don't yes. get these no-names in it. I mean, they, I reckon they should just give an honorary uh, 
um, spot to Craig Hodges to come back and <laughs> shoot those threes. <laughs> three, three Craig Hodges mentions in one pod. I know. He'll never, ever get mentioned again, but there you go. Good old, good old Craig. <laughs> All right, mate, we'll, um, we'll be back uh, for our next pod, hopefully not two and a half weeks away, but we'll, we'll work around the, uh, the children arrangements there. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. All right, see you, bud.